everyone, and welcome back to the AdCast, a podcast for the study of modern visual culture. I'm your sensei, Renu. And I'm your genderless gem-based combat lifeform, Soup. <laughs> this week, AD stands for Aesthetic Treasury, because we'll be talking about Hoseki no Kuni, also known as Land of the Lustrous. Um, but before we get into that, uh, what have you been up to? Um, That's a very good question. Um, I feel like it... When I don't remember when we recorded that last episode, but it wasn't that long ago. I mean, we've played yeah. some Ace Attorney since then, yeah. and to be honest, I really have not been up to uh, literally anything. I mean, when I really think about it, um, <laughs> I mean, like, I, I, I guess the question is like, what, what, what else do you really do anymore um, other than sit <laughs> inside your home and watch as everything? gets like weirder and wackier as like you know you're like okay cool you know you enter january and you're like all right all right all right all right and then like not a week goes by and you and you have a violent coup attempt right (laughs) and then you're like well shit i mean i guess like that's that's kind of it like that's probably going to be the most like whack-ass thing to happen this year and then and then it's like nope actually actually no it turns out reddit is going to crash the stock market (laughs) they're bored you know uh, I mean, uh, yeah. le- le- I, I mean, yes, they are bored, certainly, um, but they're also, you know, um, vindictive at a uh, a large financial system that does not care about them. It's it's very funny, I have to say, about the whole like you know Reddit sort of stock situation because like, I on one hand, like these are definitely people that I largely would never agree with on most of anything, but for some reason, we all seem to be in the same boat deciding that like you know hedge funds and the like uh should be should be destroyed which you know we all we all kind of agree is is the case um, <laughs> but it's it's just kind of a very weird like time to find yourself where you know um you're on the same side as like weird reddit libertarians and you're like i really don't want to be associated with you but like yeah i, I guess it's you know what it's like it's like um it's like that Onion article where it's just like the worst guy you you have ever known has made like uh, a a great point tragedy. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, I uh, I knew virtually nothing about the stock market um, before uh, before this week. Um, oh really? I mean, I I knew the kind of like basic amount um, of stuff that. Uh, you know, one learns in like an economics class. Um, mm. Our economics class is a little bit like more like quote unquote hands on. So like we we did some study about like you know stocks and um, practical financials and and the like. But like um, to be honest, um, if you had asked me like how one does that, I'd be like shrug emoji. I don't know, <laughs> <laughs> right? Um, and you know, obviously, like, I I didn't know about um, any of the, uh, like, it's just, it's one of those things, right, where you, where you know that something fucky is going on over there, and, like, you just, you just completely checked out of it, right? Like, that's, that's the stock market to me, where it's just, like, definitely people are doing things bad, right? Like, the stock market, we all, we all agree, is kind of a, a bad thing, right? And, like, even amongst that kind of uh, environment, people are, you know, not following the rules and, and, and all that, and they're kind of doing really shitty things to to turn a profit. We we all kind of knew that. Um, but like, this is something. This is something. Just this is something completely else. Like, I I cannot say how kind of 
hilariously gratifying it is to watch um a very large financial institution just like whimper because they're like <laughs> oh no we got we got caught right because part of the problem right um part of the reason that they couldn't like weasel their way out of this well that sense to be seen i suppose uh, at the time of recording like a lot of things are up in the air oh, um, they will because, weasel <laughs> yeah well i mean the thing is that a lot of people a lot of things are up in the air right because like um they're doing kind of a lot of um as a lot of the like um apps and like uh sites that let you like you know buy and sell stocks are limiting what what stocks you can buy and sell because because the big financial institutions and like you know investment brokers are like freaking the fuck out right yeah so i mean it's, it's obviously like you know just like a huge power grab um like mask off power grab like in plain sight of everybody everybody knows like that's the case right um yeah and like all that being said, it, it is somewhat gratifying, I have to say, to just watch them, like, scramble because they, they fucked up really hard. Because, um, so I, I don't know if you know how um, the mechanics of this work. There have been a lot of people who have, like, broken it down and explained it. But, like, essentially, what these people are doing is um, they are borrowing stock and then selling that stock that they borrowed on the promise that they'll return it. And what they do is they just buy it back later when it, the price has gone down right yeah they they basically so, turn a quick profit in between right. the the borrowing a, and the returning it's a super easy way to to turn a profit especially when you are a um a big like stock company um or like a like a trading company because what happens is you have essentially supercomputers that will buy and sell automatically based on price fluctuations right, right. Mm -hmm. and so the faster you're kind of um computer is like the the more you can do that and the more you can kind of turn a profit um now the, here's the problem is that also like um people who do this are like very very greedy and have like very kind of um poor judgment i i suppose you should say i mean that that goes without saying about any kind of like um investment slash like you know um uh risk-based like financial scheme right like it's it, it's always disastrous, right? Like this this is how we got the oh eight crash. Um mm -hmm. is is that people were just like, Oh, this is a quick way to make some money and it turns out that they were just like, you know, absolutely fucking the economy. Um mm -hmm. and so the problem is that they promised to buy, uh, or they, they basically shorted more stocks than than literally existed of a company. Mm -hmm. Which is why they they couldn't just buy the the stocks back. Right, there loss. weren't stocks to to yeah buy they, at a cheap price. <laughs> they physically could not mm -hmm. um, get a hold of 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 everything they needed because they yeah. were cheating. Because they yes. were they, they were like you know we've we've uh, we're gonna borrow like hundred forty percent of the stocks that exist, which is like impossible, right. obviously. Right, and <laughs> and like if they had cashed out like um, earlier when they were definitely gonna make a loss, right? Um, they would have just just like lost right um and and lost a bunch of money but they might not have necessarily like gone bankrupt um but the problem was that in in all of the glorious wisdom of of like the financial leaders of our country um they decided to just double down cuz they're like well i mean they can't do this forever oh they can 
<laughs> oh, oh, they can. Like you, they they really highly kind of underestimated the fact that a lot of the people who were buying up these stocks had absolutely no interest in turning a profit whatsoever. And mm-hmm. we're mostly just looking to like destroy this hedge fund because, like, w- yeah, of course, right? Yeah, you know, I mean, like these aren't these aren't um, like investment brokers doing this. Um, these these are just normal ass people who are like, oh, this is like a way that we can like topple a financial institution. Um, which, like, I mean, honestly, Godspeed, all power, all power. <laughs> but uh, it's, it's been an absolutely wild, like past couple days just kind of like waking up in the morning and reading stuff that's happening um like i have a yeah. i have a friend who's like really really into the the wall street like bet stuff which i mean i don't particularly care for um because like i mean it's it's just gambling but also like i did i don't have any money so like stocks are kind of a, a pointless thing anyway right <laughs> it's like you can't invest in stocks if you don't have money you do need money to start yeah. playing with stocks. <laughs> right, exactly. I mean, I'm I'm not going to go to to the casino with with right. like $20 to my name uh, even if like I know that something is going to happen where like the machine breaks and I can definitely make my like I I, I just only had the $20. I mean, you could do a thing with $20. <laughs> yeah, I mean, to be fair, like it the boat has kind of kind of passed on on it because like people uh, they you know, obviously, it's it's freaked out a bunch of people who have a lot of power, so um, they're kind of cracking down on it, and um, it's it'll be very interesting to see how this goes. Um, because I will be, yeah, I'll be interested in seeing what kind of legislation ends up passing after this, because you know that the people in power are going to be like, well, we can't have these commoner people threatening our livelihoods right. again like Ex- this. Exactly. We have to pass some laws and make it illegal so we can punish them. I mean, honestly, <laughs> like I. I really hope that that whatever legislation um, comes through, if if any does at all, mm-hmm. um, it will regulate the stock market in a way that is beneficial for I don't know normal people. Because like, the, really, it just kind of goes to show that like um, like the stock market was was doing unreasonably well in the midst of a global pandemic where you know uh, yes. four hundred thousand Americans have already died. So like you know. Uh, Excuse me if I really like don't <laughs> care if it like if the whole shebang comes down, right? Like, I mean, <laughs> right? Because like, if you really think about it, right? Um, the the argument generally for having the stock market be um, as is and like be unregulated is like, oh well, you see, it stimulates the economy and the economy needs to keep going or else like you know what what's going to happen to everybody else? And it's like everybody is already starving and sick and dying. So like, I mean, your point is kind of moot and. Like, you really don't care about anything other than just making more money. Um, and that's pretty obvious to everybody. Anyway, um, absolutely <laughs> depressing, but also very, very funny. I just, it's just so <laughs> funny. It is, it is unbelievably funny. And honestly, Godspeed. Um, yeah, I think it could, it could go either way. They could either pass laws that will limit normal people from doing this kind of thing again or they will give normal people more access so that the normal people don't overthrow the stock exchange again (laughs) yeah i mean i suspect if we get anything it'll just make it harder to do anything um yeah like i i don't imagine that that it would like lower the barrier for entry no i don't think so i think yeah 
Right. I, mean, I think it'll just make it harder for sure. I, I think if, if we were to go in any direction, it would be in the one that makes it harder yeah. for, for normal people, which is which kind of like yeah. sucks. Like, obviously, I, like I um I have a I don't know, not that much respect for for like day traders, to be honest. It's just kind of like <laughs> like I, I get it. But also just like there's something like very irritating to me about like a bunch of people who are essentially like participating in in what is like a a gambling institution essentially because that that is really what it is at the end of the day um but also like kind of layering it with um an amount of um i guess like uh financial like legitimacy i guess you could call it um i don't know if i would i would use the word legitimacy but like just the fact that i don't know I, I find those kinds of people to be somewhat insufferable. Like, I don't know if you've ever, <laughs> ever met anybody who, who no, like, I day trades, but, like, um, <laughs> they're kind of insufferable. <laughs> I think, well, I, I at the very least hope that out of this comes uh, people having a lot more knowledge about the stock market now and how it works so that if oh, they yeah, want we've, to participate, We've all can. discovered that right. money is fake. And that was something that some of us knew all along, but now we we see just how fake it is, right? Like how how uh, easily it can be manipulated. Uh, and um, I mean, if people come away with more knowledge about how the economy works, and that's great. That means we can be a little bit smarter about our money. Um, <laughs> but we'll see. I, I mean, guess. I mean, that's that's true. But at the same time, you know, ultimately, it's it's like we we have to sort of acknowledge the fact that like. What, whatever the case is, the um, sort of financial uh, class will will protect their own interests at any cost. Oh, yeah, cost, of course. Right? Yeah. And yeah. as much as I, like, kind of don't like the, uh, the general attitude of, like, day traders, I, I mean, I got to say, like, the fact that uh, there are people out there who are, like, very threatened by by these people is very funny to me i like <laughs> it's it is it is definitely one of those one of those like the enemy of my enemy is i guess my friend for now right mm -hmm. it's very like um i never thought i'd be fighting you know side by side with an elf what about a friend i i could do that <laughs> <laughs> yeah um <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I I've been keeping up with that really. Um okay. other than that, I've been uh making my way through my uh my my just infinite backlog of YouTube videos. Um it was at about 300 like 20 plus um uh, like 2 weeks ago or so. Um but I've managed to cut it down to about 50, so I'm feeling pretty good. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. Um luckily most of those videos are like 2 minute clips of like uh, like VTuber stuff, so like they go by very quickly. But like, I have a lot of them. I I have finally made it into January. <laughs> I couldn't. I there's there's just like no way for me to to keep up with that much content. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's easier when like all you do is like sit at home and play Grand Blue Fantasy, right? Like I don't. <laughs> to be honest, I like I, I don't have that much to do right now. Um, I mean I like make the podcast and I stream the video game and I do some writing sometimes, but like for the for the most part, like I I have a lot of free time right now. Oh really? I need to give you some work then. <laughs> well, I, I mean that's that's funny because like. I need you to do a lot of work. 
Oh, don't. <laughs> no, this can only go one way and not towards me. <laughs> oh, I see, I see, I see. Yeah. Um, but yeah, what, uh, what, what have you been up to? Um, I've been buried at work. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. That, that sounds about right. That, I, I got that impression. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I just have a, an animation deadline tomorrow, so I gotta make that. Oh my god. Um, yeah, it's a project I've been working on for since November. <laughs> So, oh my god! Yeah, it's coming down to the wire tomorrow, so we'll see. But aside from that, my escapism has been more Animal Crossing. Uh, okay. Yeah. I, yeah. I yeah I have recently found more joy in the game by setting my clock to a different time zone because the time that I would come on to uh, and play the game was always right before bed, which is like around midnight. Ah uh, uh, yeah 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 and. That is not an opportune time to play the game because everything is closed except for the museum and visitors aren't usually hanging out, at least not that I've seen very often on my island, except for like Gulliver and the ghost. Um, and I was so sick of it because I had been storing up all this fish and these insects like since I started playing the game, I hadn't been visited by CJ or Flick. And so my, half my island was covered <laughs> to the point that my game was lagging oh my God. whenever I went to that side of the island. <laughs> so finally wow. today, because I had set my, my clock back like uh, by like, I don't know, like four hours or something. I got visited by Flick today, and so I sold off all of the insects, and now I'm just waiting to for whenever I can get randomly, uh, randomly have CJ visit. But yeah, it's been mm-hmm. it's been much nicer now that I can actually interact with my villagers again since they're awake, and <laughs> maybe I'll actually get to meet the turnip lady. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this this just uh, confirms to me that in in quarantine, the only time zone that matters seems to be JST. Yeah, no, and that's so confusing to me that, um, considering that I I know that this game is marketed, of course, towards kids, right? And they don't really expect kids to be up till midnight. But I would expect that Nintendo is fully aware that they have an adult fan base, and that maybe a lot of their adult fan base would be up at midnight local time to be playing yeah. their game. And so to basically make your game boring at these, you know, these late hours just kind of seems counterintuitive. Like I get that uh, they want to make it more like a daily life kind of sim type of deal. So of course everyone's supposed to be asleep. So you should be asleep too, but it makes your game boring. <laughs> Yeah, this has always been an Animal Crossing problem, which is that, like, the amount of stuff that you can do at night has is just drastically decreased. Like, there's yeah. there's so little that you can actually do at night. Yeah, I mean, there's I literally can't play the game at any other time unless I, like, sneak it in during my lunch break at work. You know, I, I, you know, I have work, and then I come home, cook dinner, you know, clean, that, that kind of thing, get ready for bed, and then... And then it's bedtime, and I have a couple, like, maybe an hour to play, and then sleep. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I don't know. Uh, but, yeah, I'm I'm glad I can uh, have that to wind down during busy time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, that's about all I've been up to, really. <laughs> nice. Nice. Mm-hmm. 
Um, yeah, I can't really think of anything either. Uh, yeah. 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 I mean, we've been playing. Roll right into it. I've been playing Dark Souls. Yes. Yes. So, uh, yeah. Why don't we? Why don't we get to it? Why don't we talk about uh, Hoseki no Kuni? Wee. I actually, I I wanted to make a quick note that I really like the way that they translated this title into English. Me Um, too. Actually, I agree. I agree. (laughs) It's a very good. It's a very good title. Um, Yeah. And th- this is one of those things where um, I I kind of hate when um, when people are are anti like localization. Um, I mm-hmm. guess because because localization has a very like bad rap, um, mm-hmm. primarily because of of the '90s in in America, where everything <laughs> that came to American shores was mm-hmm. localized quote unquote yeah. to to essentially become kind of like hyper american right yes like there is a legitimate kind of um discussion to be had about the ways in which translation is a tool for um like rendering uh cultural objects uh in, in a way that is inoffensive to um to a like a hegemonic audience like an American audience right um, but at the same time uh all translation is is localization right it's you're not gonna get away from it right um, all yeah. translation is a process of interpretation and mm-hmm. you interpret based on the context that you personally have as as a person um so but anyway yeah, I, yeah whoever translated the title did a really good job um mm-hmm. because Hoseki no Kuni just just literally means like country of jewels, and that would be right. the most boring ass title. Like, <laughs> like it would be such an uninteresting title. Yeah, <laughs> unfortunately, like, but yes. <laughs> like Land, Land of the Lustrous is a really really great title. It's like yes. catchy. Um, yes. You've got like kind of that like slight alliteration that's going yes. on. Yes. Um, yes. It's it's just a very like fun like turn mm-hmm. of phrase. Mm-hmm. Um, it it effectively conveys what the what the series is about. I think it's great. Yep. I think yep. it's great. Yeah. Um. But yeah, so let's get into it. Um, Hoseki no Kuni is a manga series written and illustrated by Haruko Ichikawa and has been published by Kodansha since 2012, which, believe it or not, actually means that it came out a full year before Steven Universe started airing. Um, and Ooh. in the course of researching <laughs> this uh, for the episode, like, mm-hmm. you know, for, for this bit, um, I... <laughs> came to the like stark realization that Steven Universe started Eric eight years ago and I don't know how to handle that. <laughs> That's like really I don't know how to handle that. <laughs> like you're you're kidding me. No way. <laughs> That's that's ridiculous. Yeah man. <laughs> oh oh ugh, ugh, time passing. What a what a weird concept. Anyway. Um Time is a flat circle. Anyway, so Hoseki no Kuni <laughs> is set on a like far future post 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 apocalypse Earth, uh, where Earth has been struck by six meteors, and then mm-hmm. only like a single piece of land remains. So um, all all life on the planet is is basically gone, um, except uh, sentient life forms that began to emerge in the form of immortal jewels that are kind of like in the general shape of of human beings. Um, mm-hmm. And these gems uh, fight a war against uh, Lunarians, which, another great translation, um, <laughs> which are essentially a moon-dwelling species that yeah. come to harvest the gems' bodies to use as decorations. Very grim. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, 
And the story centers around Phosphophilite, a young and fragile gem who wishes to help their friends in the war. Um, in 2017, the manga was adapted into a 12-episode entirely computer graphics uh, and anime, uh, animated by Studio Orange, who are very well known at this point for, for the CG work that they do. Um, right now, they're, they're doing um, the second season of Beastars, um, which also, also CG, also really good. Um, and I think as far as anime goes in in the CG space, like like yeah, this is this is it. <laughs> yeah, there yeah. is. I think nothing else that looks anything like this, and it's it's pretty amazing. What's what's interesting is actually um, in the process of of researching for this, I found out that there was an OVA, so like um a uh. I guess, like, it's kind of like a PV, but, like, um, it was essentially a, a trailer, quote-unquote, an animated trailer for, um, for the manga. And um, it's, it's actually completely 2D animated, and it actually looks really good and very close to what the 3D version looks like. Um, hmm. And I think a lot of people were disappointed when the 3D version came out because it was different mm. than, mm-hmm. than what they expected. Um, right. But also that, that PV came out in, like, 2012 or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Uh, like 2012 or 2013 and the the anime came out in 2017 so like you know <laughs> yeah um like honestly the the 2d anime looks really good the style of it is a little bit closer to what the um uh the style of the manga is i mean naturally because mm-hmm. they hadn't established like an, an anime style yet mm-hmm. um but uh i i still really like the 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 3d anime um the like 3d cg anime i think it's it's done really well and it's one of the very few cg anime that like doesn't look like really weird out the gate (laughs) yeah no i think they did like an astronomical amount of work to make the cg look as animated as possible like i i feel like i read somewhere um saying that they did do some 2d compositing um on some of the scenes So, like, some of the scenes that you probably would have noticed, like, look especially not 3D. They might yeah. have done some 2D compositing on top of it. To I, make I it think I think smooth. I did notice some of that, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. This... Um, yeah. Yeah, go on. I was going to say, like, that's basically the the level, I would say, the attention to detail that you might expect from something like Spider-Verse. You know, they also did a similar thing where they, right. you know, they worked on 3D stills and composited um 2d elements over it it yeah it reminds me a lot of what they did for um uh i think i think it was it's one of the guilty gear games um but it like is Uh, mm -hmm. it's 3d animated but uh, in a way that is meant to explicitly evoke 2d animation and it's gorgeous yes one of the most recent ones Mm -hmm. yeah yeah it's it's probably one of the best looking games like period 100 Um, percent Mm-hmm. Because of just how how well it it executes its its art style, um, in yeah, in a very in a very similar way, I think that the um, the three D kind of like uh, feel of of uh, Hoseki no Kuni is it's very unique, and I think it really mm-hmm. works for the kind of like um, for the for the setting of it because mm-hmm. it's a lot of you know these people that are made primarily of like very shiny gemstones i think it would be just yeah absolutely not to not to say that like 
you know, there wasn't a lot of uh, work that went into um, the, the, the CG animation because there, there was clearly an astronomical amount of work. Um, mm-hmm. But I also think it would have been completely impractical to make an entire 2D anime uh, that was like traditionally animated like this. I think it would have cheapened it in some way. Now that I see how great it is in in 3D, mm-hmm. that there are certain elements that I have a hard time actually imagining them doing in 2D. Like uh like Diamond's whole fight against the, the against Shiro. Right, right. How would you even, you know, or yeah, all of yeah, Bortz's yeah. sequences? Because uh, well, like, well, the thing is, it's not just an art style thing. Um yeah. like um it's not just an art style difference. The fact that they're using CG gives them a lot of leeway to do um a lot of stuff that That's true. Na- yeah. Like nowadays, mm-hmm. like we see yeah. a lot of three D compositing um yeah. in in two D animation. Um, which is very interesting because it gives, um, anime a very like 3d space. So like we see that, Mm -hmm. we see that in, um, in anime like Jujutsu Kaisen, um, we see it a lot in Promise Mm -hmm. Neverland where you have these shots that are much more akin to like traditional like cinematography shots where Mm -hmm. like the camera will pan and like rotate in like a 3d space. Um, yeah. But that's native to to CG because of you know the way that the the animation itself works, and yeah. that means that you can hold camera angles and shots a lot longer, right? You don't have to cut away from a shot. Mm-hmm. Whereas in two D animation, because you have to construct everything in the environment like by hand, and mm-hmm. you can't like move it around without reconstructing it, like. It means that um, it's a lot easier to convey 3D space. It's a lot easier to hold like really long shots. Like there was, um, do you remember that? Um, uh, it was that that Sandra Bullock movie um, a while ago. Uh, I think it was. I think it's just called Gravity, but it's it's about her oh, like space, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. The first like mm-hmm. 15 minutes of that um, movie are like just one continuous shot. I think right, um, and yeah, it, mm-hmm. it looks really cool. Yeah, um, and you get a lot of that where like. Um, I, I noticed that they would hold shots quite a lot longer yes. mm-hmm. um, than they would. And um, if you notice, especially in the fight scenes, they will, they'll just move the camera around mm-hmm. instead of like cutting between um, shots. Yeah. It gives it a very different like feeling, a very different oh, yeah, kind of, like, sense of space. Um, yes. Which is funny because um, it's also like a lot of the space in Hoseki no Kuni generally is like very abstract. So, like, you get a very 3D sense of the space, but the, the space itself is, like, very sparse, right? Because it's, you yeah. know, the, the mm-hmm. kind of unpopulated uh, mm-hmm. land um, that has followed many kind of apocalyptic uh, meteor hits on the planet. Mm-hmm. So, like, mm-hmm. um, you have, like, you know, insects and, and uh, kind of, like, vague wildlife and, and, the sort of, uh, and that sort of thing. But, like, um, for the most part, it's a very, like, lonely kind of, like, quiet world. And mm-hmm. I think interestingly, the three D the three D ness of it gives it a very different um, gives it a very like um, comparable feeling to that. I went back and I read some of the manga um, starting from when you know the anime leaves off, and mm-hmm. the manga has like very few backgrounds. A lot of the backgrounds are very like abstracted into just white or black space, mm-hmm. um, and. I think it actually works really well. Like, I like that it's it's different, right? Because mm-hmm. like um, the three D one has a very like powerful grounding sense of space because of because it's modeled in three D. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas the uh, manga is like very very abstract. I think if they were going to make an anime, 
um, in, in a 2D style, they would probably want to emulate the more abstract kind of, um, mm-hmm. uh, like, floatiness, I guess, mm-hmm. of, of, the, of the manga. Sure. Um, mm-hmm. I think that would have worked better. But the fact that it's a 3D anime means um, they're kind of allowed to uh, construct that sense of space. And it's, it's great because they also don't have to populate it with a lot of things, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I feel like the most crowded... I guess dynamic interaction they had um was when they were fighting in the uh uh the building that the temple right were. yeah um but otherwise yeah it's always been open space and I am curious like to see if they ever do end up animating like a fight or whatever in an even more crowded space and seeing how well they do with that because I think they do amazing but it would also obviously take a lot of time and budget <laughs> to do something like that <laughs> right yeah <laughs> I mean, I, I'll say that um, the the kind of like um, episode with with Shiro is like really good for this. Yeah, like you can track how long the shots are. Like, there's a yes. lot of shots that are just like you're just kind of over like Diamond's shoulder for yes. like a very long time. It's mm-hmm. actually really cool because it um, the direction in the show is really good. So like mm-hmm. the camera angles are very dynamic. Sometimes almost distractingly so, but like you you kind of get the feel <laughs> for it, right? Yeah. Um, like they really they send you up like a roller coaster sometimes. Yeah. I swear. Um, yeah. And um, it's actually really cool because that uh feels a lot like a very like movie moment where like mm-hmm. um you have like the uh the horror monster kind of stalking the halls and you're mm-hmm. like just over the character's shoulder, so mm-hmm. you know you kind of feel the same tension because it's like the 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 creature is just out of sight. Um, yeah. And at the same time, the music there is like this like ramping uh, kind of like um, single string instrument that is mm-hmm. like, mm. that that entire <laughs> scene is built really well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, I don't know. It's like the direction of the show overall was like very impressive to me. Oh, yeah. Um, Extremely strong. Yeah. Very, very, very strong. Like there, mm-hmm. there are very few moments where I was thinking like this needs to, to go on faster because like if if something is happening a little bit more slowly, you're kind of just like remarking upon um, the sort of like visual sights you're seeing. Like um, you're kind of like mm. noticing the way that the light reflects off of the um, the characters like hair onto their shoulders. Yes. Um, yes. That was also another detail that I was wondering how they would be able to execute as well in 2D. I mean, obviously it's possible, but I it's, feel like um, because it's 3D, it, there's it, a better sense of space and reflect and refraction. It's, it's interesting, actually. <laughs> in the OVA um, mm-hmm. kind of like trailer, um, mm-hmm. I actually did watch it, and uh, it's a lot more explicit. Like they just kind of splash the color on there, which I think works. Right. Um, yeah. In a in a two D kind of space, but right. Um, yeah, I I definitely agree. Like the the kind of the way that they utilized every sense of 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 3d cg animation um yeah. instead of just being like well we're just trying to emulate a 2d anime right, right instead, of, right. instead of doing that trying to make it its own thing i think yeah. is definitely the right way to go right yes like the reason yes. cg always looks so out of place in anime is because it's it's there to, it breaks up the flow completely especially if you notice it especially if it's like egregious mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. you don't really want that kind of flow break in in your anime right mm-hmm. so it's good when your anime is entirely one way or another or mm-hmm. 
it's um, done in a way that, like, really effectively, like, composites, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I think the first couple episodes of Demon Slayer are a little bit rough about this. Like, you can definitely, like, it's not the worst <laughs> CG I've ever seen, but you see the CG and you're like, okay, we're in CG now, right? Um, CG bird, CG bamboo. <laughs> by the time the second season rolls around, a lot of that is largely gone. I, I suspect yeah. because, like, it became so popular that they just diverted more resources to, like, producing it or whatever. Mm. But, like, mm-hmm. um, UFO Table as a whole is actually really good about um, about the kind of 3D composited yes. spaces um, yes. and the, like, spinning camera angles. Uh, yeah. Which is what makes, you know, um, stuff like uh, like like Unlimited Blade Works and uh, Demon Slayer so fun to watch, right? Because mm-hmm. it's... Mm-hmm. Um, they're really... Like, UFO Table really are just, like, masters of their craft at this point. Like, they, they make really, really good-looking stuff. Um, and yeah. they kind of pull all the tricks to make it look good, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, but, like, you you don't necessarily want it to break up the flow. You want it to be, like, just just out of sight, right? Like, just not noticeable enough so that if you do, it's not that, like, it doesn't take you that far out of it, um, which is the problem that you usually run into with, with CG, um, which, you know, obviously this anime avoids entirely by just being all CG, which I think, I think more anime should be all CG. Um, and I think we should be looking to adapt things um, into CG anime that are suited to being CG anime and not yes. just, it would be cheaper if we did this right. CG, right? Yep. It's, it feels like it was a choice to make, uh, to make it a, a CG anime. And mm-hmm. that I think is, it, that goes a long way, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, they had to develop their own engines and everything programming for creating stuff like the the hair dynamic for example right yeah um so clearly again this wasn't for shortcuts this was for making a more appropriately fitting adaptation for this uh for the original manga Um, right yeah and it shows it shows in everything yeah, I mean that kind of, that kind of intention because like if you're making an anime, you should be making it from the ground up. If you're making any media thing, you should make it from the ground up to be appropriately suited to the to the medium that you're you're doing, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you are, you know, um, making a, uh, I mean, let's let's just say you're making like a game, right? Mm-hmm. What you should be looking to do is um, making your game in such a way that um, it is important that it was a game and not just like a novel or mm-hmm. like an, a TV anime, right? Because a lot mm-hmm. of <laughs> a lot of like bad games tend to just be like, oh, this is like a story we want to tell, and there's no difference between that and if if you had just watched a movie, right? Right. Um, and in in kind of a, a very similar way, um, it's very important that you build your um, your piece of media to you know uh, appropriately reflect the the medium that it's in, right? Like yeah. if you're gonna make a mm-hmm. CG anime, there are certain things that you have to do to accommodate it being a CG anime. You know, there are certain strengths that you will have over uh, you know traditional hand animating. And there are certain weaknesses you're gonna have, and that's just like you have to, you have to lean into it, really. Like right. you, you, you shouldn't just do mitigation work. You should you should actively look to uh, emphasize your strengths, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think like Hoseki Nikuni is great because like every every aspect of it is like built really really well to reflect this, right? Where like 
obviously you have the the CG animation and all of the like light effects and they're they're kind of going all over the place the like reflections um and overall everything looks pretty good right um mm-hmm. the if you saw the um uh, the environments in the abstract, uh, they would look a little bit funny, but because they're juxtaposed against the characters who look like they fit inside the world, it doesn't look weird, right? right. Mm-hmm. And also kind of the same that way, where it's like if you had this 3D world and then you you slapped 2D characters on it, it'd be really weird. Um, <laughs> yeah. It would be interesting, and if you did that on purpose, that'd be pretty cool. Um, <laughs> you know, something like Danganronpa where, like, all of the and all of the like characters in in Danganronpa just look like cutouts for some reason. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> um, that's that's a cool like stylistic choice that you can make. Um, but uh-huh. you know you um, that's a choice you should make. I, I suppose I should say. Um, but I like I like the fact that everything is kind of built from the ground up to be um, you know to be like this. Uh, like the fact that there's just like rock noises whenever they walk, which is really funny. Just like the. Oh my god the the sound design. Oh, the is, sound design is excellent. Yeah. Oh my god, it is so like this level of sound design would be able to carry an animation even if it was of a lesser quality than this, right? But the yeah, fact that it works yeah. it, so well, well together, like oh my gosh, I I completely agree because it's it's a very like visually pleasing anime to watch. Yes, um, but the sound goes a long way to to making it even better. Because um, there is, um, so there's like kind of a couple pillars of this where it's like, first, the music is like really good. It's very, mm-hmm. very fitting. It's very unique. It, it mm-hmm. sounds like it was written for the series and isn't just a generic set of music, right? Right. Um, like there is, you know, this kind of like calming music, but also just this like kind of like unsettling like um, mantra uh, kind of music that that plays oh, yeah. whenever the Lunarians very Asiatic show up. music yeah. and it's very like it's very like Buddhist temple kind yes. of like feel um, yes uh, I know we haven't gotten there in, in Ace Attorney yet but it's like it's like crying village in, in Ace Attorney <laughs> it's like yeah. that I, I think about that music all the time where it's just like that <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's that and um, obviously the sound design is, is very good. Like there's lots of little like little rock noises, lots of like swings and like yeah. rattles and like uh, and like resonances that are, are, are very cool. Um, the shattering noises are very like sharp. Oh, and, like, man. Nice. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then like the third one is that, uh, the voice acting is so good. Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. Um, I, I actually went back to the, the voice cast because I like I sort of got every single character in this anime is voiced by like a really like top tier voice actor. Extremely great voice acting talent in this anime. Yeah, well, because um, the so Sensei is voiced by um, I think like uh, I think Joji Nakata um, who is like really super famous, and then like mm-hmm. um, the rest of them are like voiced by like A tier like. A tier talent yeah, like yeah. Rie Kugimiya, yeah. like Sayori Hayami. Yes, um, yes. Like I think Aya Kayano is in this. Um, it, it was very funny to me where yeah. I was like, mm, "We're gonna have a, a, a like an anime that is primarily about like um, androgynous like rock people." Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, most of them are vo- are like ninety nine percent of them are voiced by by voice actresses. Where's when's Romy Park gonna show up? And then she does. <laughs> <laughs> like 10 episodes in you're like oh whoa there she is oh, oh there she is um which is pretty cool yeah um, no as, as soon as like i saw antarctosite i was like i had a feeling i was like it's gonna be voiced by someone i really know and of course it's kilo's voice actor oh my voice god actress, yeah, yeah, yeah maria Ise, and i was like ah oh! 
Um, it's perfect. <laughs> I think I think the only the only possible person we're like really missing here is like it's just a Megumi Ogata voice person. Yes, and, yes, and, yes. Like, I agree. <laughs> um, but I, I mean, honestly, like like the voice talent is so good, and the direction for the voice yeah. is like okay, like this this is something that's like really kind of underrated because like obviously a voice actor um can put on a good performance. Um, yeah. But a lot of voice acting also comes down to how the um the like script is written and how the the direction is like given, and this is like exceptionally well directed in terms of mm-hmm. in terms of voice acting. It's it's very very good. Um, like because obviously we've been watching anime for a long time and we're like, oh yeah, these are like good voice actors. Um, these these are good voice actors. Um, but very like. I feel like it's not as often that you necessarily hear something and you're like, that was an amazing performance. Right. And in this case, like, cause normally it's like, oh, it's just like, it's natural. It's normal. But like this one is like, it legitimately feels like a, a really solid performance. Um, mm-hmm. It's like exceptional. Um, and um, obviously I, I, I'm going to put a pin in this because like I, I wrote some stuff about this later um, about like um, uh, this anime about like genderless rocks, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and the fact that most <laughs> of them are are voiced by by women. Um, mm-hmm. I, I have some stuff to say about that. Put a pin in it. Mm-hmm. But like, yeah. Um, overall, like this this anime is like very well produced. Like, yeah. the the production value of it is like off the charts. It's, yeah. it's very very well done. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, I I like <laughs> that it conveys the tone of the manga really well um uh having mm. read a couple of chapters uh not okay. of stuff that i've read but like the manga feels and i think appropriately so um it has a very like a very melancholic like lonely feeling to it um which mm. i think i think probably is um is at least somewhat intended um because of of the setting right mm-hmm. um it's like a very like lonely place to be where like really the only things um there are you your friends uh some some slugs and <laughs> aliens that will try to kill and kidnap you at any at any moment right right so like it it's a very like stark kind of lonely world but it's also very like big and beautiful but also it's so empty and like you see that come through a lot especially in the episodes when when Phos is like walking through the ocean mhm and normally you would be like oh this this is like you know, like they're just being like lazy or whatever, but like that's the intention of, of the of the setting, and so it actually takes on a new meaning where like actually it feels like the world is is very lonely. In many ways, it actually feels a lot like um a lot like Evangelion, um especially especially like um the the later movies um in the rebuilds where you mm-hmm. can get a very very real sense for just how like messed up the world is and how empty right it is, yeah right mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. but it's like. But it feels like that, but, like, in the future, after everyone has kind of died off. So, like, not only... So, it has returned to being beautiful, but it's also just completely empty. Right, yeah. Um, and I, I really like that. I, I think it's it's a very nice touch. Um, yeah. Like, the the way that the anime... Um, or the, the way that the manga works is it's very, like, it's very precise. And... Because a lot of it is, 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 like, very abstracted, but it feels very... Um, there's there's like intent in every panel, which which is mm. really interesting. Like everything feels so like isolated and lonely all the time, um, and I think that like really speaks to the way that like a lot of a lot of the characters feel kind of like, um, or are sort of mentally right. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Speaking of, uh, let's let's talk briefly about the story, um, yeah. which there actually isn't that much of in the anime. <laughs> yeah. um, you can kind of tell that like they weren't really sure how much they could do in thirty in like um I, I was gonna say thirty chapters because that that's uh, the amount of time that the the anime covers. But like they had twelve episodes, and you can tell it was like very hard to stop at episode twelve. Yeah, I. Uh... At first, like, I was so impressed by the pacing because to me it felt just right. Um, It was entertaining, but, like, not super fast or super slow. But then as the show started to wrap up, I was like, where are they going to go? How far are they going to go? Yeah. (laughs) When are we stopping? Because it's episode 12. (laughs) It absolutely suffers in, in the sense of it does not know whether or not it will be renewed for another season, which is honestly quite a shame. I like Yeah. If this had gone on for for two seasons, I think we would have gotten a really satisfying like end point. Yeah. Um. But unfortunately, uh, unfortunately, we kind of just didn't because they only got twelve episodes, and it like remarkably, I think, I think remarkably, the pace is very, very good most of the way through. Yeah. Um, yeah. You're right that it's kind of a mess at the end, but you can tell that they like just couldn't figure it out, which I don't really yeah. blame them for. Um, yeah. It is the curse of being a an adaptation of something and you not having control over how long that adaptation is. Like, it's, I mean, it, honestly, it's a crying shame. Um, I would have, I would have absolutely loved to just have another season of this. Yes, a hundred percent. Um, but obviously, for for one reason or another, they they stopped at episode twelve. Uh, they only got cleared for twelve episodes or whatever. And they never uh, got, as far as I know, they never got um, renewed for another season, which I hope I hope does happen. Um, oh yeah, me too. <laughs> there's certainly, I think, enough manga to to cover um, another season. And I don't know, it, like I kind of hate when anime has to be hamstrung by uh, by how long it is, like. It it's kind of the saddest thing in the world when your story is very well paced and very well paced for the story that you're telling too, mm-hmm. and then it it just falls apart at, right at the very last moment because you just couldn't get cleared for another season or whatever. Right, like it would. I mean, in the ideal world, we would have these series be as long as they need to be. As yeah, you know, right. Exactly. Neither too long or too short, and you know that's it. And then they would just air, and we would all be happy. But. That <laughs> that's not how it works. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, the story setup itself, I I think is is pretty cool. Um, mm-hmm. the fact that like uh, all the characters have um, the fact that all the characters are based on gems. Um, and this this goes for anything that has like a kind of like Gajinka, uh, mm-hmm. basis for characters. Mm-hmm. Is it's very easy to build your characters. I think. Um, mm. at least in comparison to like building them from scratch, right? Mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. when you build them from from a base. There's a lot there that you can kind of work with yeah. and mm-hmm. um, utilize to make a character that is both instantly readable and recognizable, um, mm-hmm. but also, like, you know, you don't have to put as much work in, right? Because, like, this is the reason that people use, like, tropes and archetypes all the time is that it is so unimaginably difficult to um, be efficient with your, like, use of space um, in mm-hmm. a story to tell something about a character without just being, like, 
like sitting down and, and like saying it or like having a character awkwardly say something. You always uh-huh. notice when it happens, right? Uh-huh. Um, but when you have um, when you have like something like gems uh, where like they have a hardness kind of scale, right? Um, and they they each have a very distinct kind of visual presence. It's very mm-hmm. easy to build your characters. All you have to do is like tell people what gem it is and then like have a couple character traits like show up here and there like it's a very like um it's a very show not tell kind of like way of mm-hmm. uh yeah. characterizing which mm-hmm. is really really good right and this this goes for anything with like kind of gajinka um roots like um if, for instance if you if you did like an anime based off of like the animal kingdom right like sure. mm-hmm. you would instantly be able to tell like what kind of character an elephant character would be or like yeah what i mean kind of that's essentially what a- they did for b stars right Right, exactly. For Beastars, um, they, you know, um, it's the exact same thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that kind of visual shorthand, um, or that kind of like uh, nonverbal shorthand, I should say, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. is very important. Um, and it's part of the reason that character design is so important and why you should always have a good character designer if you're doing anything that requires characters, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you want your characters to be recognizable um as fast as possible so you can immediately start building um attachment to these characters right um like hoseki nukuni i think works really really well because um if you actually look at how much time they really spend on on each character um a lot of the times it's really not a lot right like like antarctica is there for like two or three episodes and then dies and then foe suddenly (laughs) has like ultra ptsd right <laughs> but it works because we get enough of of that character yeah and we get I enough do, of their relationship right i think it's so interesting because their body shapes for the most part are very similar to each other all yeah, the yeah. the gems aside from sensei uh and but it's their hair and of course their facial expressions and their behaviors that are drastically different and so that's right. basically yeah. enough for you to distinguish between them yeah, there is there is um a lot of work that went into distinguishing them um like non-verbally which are mm-hmm. not not just non-verbally actually verbally as well like the fact that they each have their own kind of way of speaking is mm-hmm. yeah. um is part of what makes them so recognizable. It's actually mm-hmm. if you go from the anime to the the manga, especially if you don't read it in color, it can actually be kind of difficult to tell which characters are which sometimes because there's no color right mm-hmm. right because the color mm-hmm. makes them so visibly recognizable yeah yeah um but uh at the end of the day most of them have like very similar shapes um mm-hmm. which is another thing that I, w- I will touch on later so i'll put a pin in that but like mm-hmm. um i i really like the way that the characters are are designed i kind of wish that like i almost wish that the manga was always drawn at least in a little bit of color um i know that's not like a very like yeah. standard practice mm-hmm. but if you just like filled in the like hair colors of each of the mm-hmm. characters there's oh yeah um, out there there are minimally colored versions of the chapters of hoseki Nukuni where you can hmm. read and they just color in the hair color mm-hmm. basically and mm-hmm. and just from that you can instantly tell which character is which um <laughs> that's but the, the orange one <laughs> yeah exactly but there's also like there's also a lot of like little things um that are that are really cool like the fact that um alexandrite is uh like obsessed <laughs> with lunarians <laughs> and yeah. and turns into red alexandrite because alexandrite is a stone that ter- that changes colors depending on the time of day because of the mm. way that it re- absorbs light 
um, mm-hmm. which I think is a very cool little detail um, yeah. that, that they had where they're like, aha, you see, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, you know, in that way, they're like, it's, it's a lot easier to build characters if you have something that people can kind of touchstone off of. Um, even mm-hmm. if people don't really know that, like, that much about rocks. They know rocks are hard. Rocks vary in hardness, <laughs> right? And those two things are enough to kind of tell you, like, something about these characters. Because yeah. they're like, they, they call foes sanhan, which means, you know, three and a half. Um, yeah. Referencing, you know, their hardness, right? Mm-hmm. And, and you know what hardness is. Because you're like, yeah. oh, yeah, some rocks are softer than others. <laughs> right? So... I, I think that's a, that's a brilliant choice. And the fact that, like, they also address, like, how brittle something is. Like, how diamond is very hard, but also very, yes. very brittle. Um, yes. Like, and, and that kind of is an analog for their combat ability, um, mm-hmm. which I, I think is, is a great kind of, like, delicious. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, it's an awesome way of just rolling up all of your world building and character power level and relationships to each other uh, all, all into one. Um, it's very, like... I, I don't want to say efficient because like that that feels like that feels like I'm doing it a disservice. It's very elegant. Elegant, yes. I will I would agree to that because even just from like the first episode, I was so impressed at how much information they presented because you know it's the first episode, but they did it in such a seamless way that I instantly like very easily understood the rules of the world. I understood the main players of the that they introduced so far. Um, I could distinguish the characters and their names and everything that they introduced so far, and also the main core emotional conflict between Phos and Cinnabar. And I was right. like, this is all in just episode one. <laughs> right. Yeah, a lot of stuff happens. It's it's a very dense show. Like, yeah. even when you don't think a lot is happening or when a lot right. isn't happening, like... Right. Um, on a conceptual level, there's mm-hmm. still a ton happening um, visually or... Um, uh, kind of like uh, auditorily, like there is so much in this show to unpack, like at every moment about how um, each part of it is like built to kind of like actually do something. Like, like this is the thing. Like there are shows that are very um, like well written in that mm-hmm. they will convey the information that they need to. There are mm-hmm. shows that are very well animated in that the animation will convey what it needs to. Mm-hmm. And, and I think Hoseki no Kuni is a, it's a show that is both, right? It's very well written because each of the characters has their own very, very distinctive voice and, mm-hmm. and way of speaking that makes them instantly recognizable. I mean, it helps that they're you know, very good voice actresses that, that have been <laughs> hired for this project and very well right. directed at that. But also, like, the way that they speak is is very unique to them, um, which um, like I absolutely recommend like just just kind of having a listen to like the way that they um, differentiate their personalities just based on how they speak. Right. It's really yeah. just like a master class in like how to do that very well. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's. Um, this is kind of like a this, this is a very funny like little aside. I I really like that Rie Kugamiya is is in this anime, but is in a role where she's not like squeaking. Yes. Like they made her they made her play a character that's very different from most of the characters that she plays, and I think that was right. really cool. Like literally I was like there was one like fluctuation in her voice and I was like is that Rie Kugimiya? Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's Rie Kugimiya. It, yeah, but then after that it was like 
it didn't really happen again. And I was like, wait, was I imagining it? Should I just look it up? And I never looked it up, but like... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> it, it's very funny because like, um, you you kind of get a sense for, um, I guess like how, how, how she would, I guess, quote unquote, normally talk. Um, yeah. Like the idea of like a, a kind of more casual, lower voice. Um, mm-hmm. Which is very cool for a for a um, you know an actress that you normally know for doing one thing, just getting to see them do something else entirely. But, yeah, mm-hmm. oh, that's pretty cool. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway, that's my aside about Rie Kugamiya, who plays Alexander. <laughs> right, um, aside. Um, it's funny because uh, like a lot happens, and also like sometimes it feels like not a lot happens. Right. Yeah. Um, like. <laughs> Porphos just gets just absolutely just like you know shattered Bro. and beat up <laughs> and eaten and dissolved and turned into a snail shell well, and I, then loses their yeah. legs and then yeah. their arms and just all I, the time. I had such mixed feelings about like Phos as a character um is so compelling to watch because they are like the quintessential like active protagonist like the story moves along because they move it along right these gems have been existing for thousands of years and Phos is the youngest one and is of course the most rambunctious one just goes out and does whatever regardless of the risks and you're screaming at your screen Phos you stop you are making (laughs) trouble for everyone you can't do that. You're causing everyone so much trouble. You're literally putting their lives at risk. You know, they might be immortal, but there's always the looming threat that they will be taken away and separated from the group for maybe forever. Yeah. And Fos is the one who, uh, because they are endangering themselves, they are thereby endangering, you know, the other gems. Um, and, uh, but the story progresses because of Fos. And so, because I also liked Fos's you know, kind of funny personality. Mm-hmm. I I felt compelled for a huge part of the show. I was like, I wanted to keep following Fos throughout the story. And I think the only time that I felt disconnected was probably during, you know, the aftermath of winter um, because Fos didn't know who they were. And I also was trying to kind of get a grasp again on who they were because they did a time skip. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, and I was like, how is this going to work? Because your your dynamic with Cinnabar is going to be completely different now. And, you know, yeah, yeah. But, um, I mean, it remains compelling until the end, which I love the, the yeah. story, I mean. And I think Fos is still a great main character. I'm I'm just very curious. We don't have that season two, so I still want to see where they go. <laughs> right. I, I mean, honestly, I, I kind of like the the arc that, that Fos takes. It's very, like, abrupt. Um, yes. But I think at the same time, it's kind of meant to, to be like that. Right, um, right, right. Because it's, it's meant to be, like, this, like, very sudden traumatic moment that, like, yes. you know, um, like, pivots a, a character into... Like, from the loss of innocence into um, into being, like, an adult, I guess you could say. Right. Because before then, Fos is basically just like a child. Just like, ah, I, I want to cause right, trouble yeah. all the time, right? Um, yeah. And, like, they have these very, uh, like, childish kind of wants and needs where they're just like, I, I, w- I want to do fighting. It senses, like, you're really bad at fighting. You, <laughs> you can't do anything in fighting. They're like, but what if? <laughs> yeah. Right? Um, yeah. And, 
and at the same time, um, I like that the the general arc uh, of the character, at least for the you know first season, um, and this this actually apparently continues on uh, in the manga, and I. I'm going to go back and I'm, I'm going to read the rest of the manga. I, If I had more time, I probably would have uh, read all of it before um, before uh, mm-hmm. recording mm-hmm. the episode. But, like, you know. Yeah. I got to watch yeah. all those YouTube videos, I guess. Um, right. Anyway. But, like, uh, I like that the arc is essentially... Um, you know, um, starts in a place where and they have they don't have a lot of power or agency, um, but they're still kind of just getting up to tr- uh, up to trouble like all the time, and they're getting saved all the time, and they're kind of sick of it. They want to become somebody who is strong enough to protect the people around them, and I think it's very interesting that um, Fos gets to a point where they are stronger, um, you know, uh, with their legs, and then like basically just just sees that it doesn't matter right right and like, like and yeah mm-hmm. and they have to go and then they're like they have to go even further they're struggling with like well like what what do i do right like right what, um and the kind of like anxieties are bouncing off into uh into the uh the glaciers and 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 the glaciers are just like stick your arms <laughs> That arms. was oh my god! Give us your armies. I, yeah, I love I love that the manifestation of Fos's doubts like came about in that way. That all of Fos's insecurities, you could tell, arose from the fact that their hardness is at a three point five or, or hardness right. level three or whatever. And so they thought that by having new legs, it would suddenly solve all of their problems. And suddenly they have sturdier legs. They can run fast. They can actually do something useful um and it turns out that not only can they not really control their legs but also that it doesn't really mean that they can swing a sword right they they yeah, still yeah can't and, really put and that like, to use and and like you know when um, it comes down to it like even if you physically get stronger um you also have to get stronger mentally um, right exactly to, and that's what the next action. arc was about right is um, the, the arc with antarcticite is is right amazing <laughs> i yeah i i really like that you know we kind of see these physical changes on on fos's body at the same time that we're seeing you know growth as, as a as a character into like not necessarily um like a better person but like somebody who um is able to i guess protect the people uh, around them we think right like that that's kind of the thing right like fos is getting what they what they always wanted but the question becomes, is is it worth it? It's kind of like, um, it feels right. a lot like, um, it, it's funny because it actually feels a lot like One Punch Man, where it's just like, you know, I, I've wanted this for so long. You know, I, I wanted to become strong. And once I'm this strong, I, like, what, what, what do I see? And, like, what do right. I get? I, I just kind of feel, like, empty inside, right? Um, right. And it's, 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 it's funny because, like, uh, Fos's arc, I think also probably suffers a lot um, as a result of of the last couple episodes um, being just sort of uncertain about how to end. Yes, it kind of left animation. Yeah, because in the air. I think in the grand scheme of things, I I think it's like a really like um, interesting kind of uh, move for um, foes to become like uh, more like Antarctic site. And and kind of like um, not as emotional, not as emotive, not as responsive. Yeah, um, yeah. 
I um I I just wanted to see it I like more realized, I guess, because for me my fear was that by hardening quote unquote in this way that the dynamic with Cinnabar would just become significantly less interesting because one of the key draws, I think, for me since season, uh, since episode one was how different those two were. They had completely different, like, personality dynamics, energy dynamics. Right. Um, and it was interesting to watch them interact because, you know, Cinnabar was cle- clearly bothered and Fos was inexperienced and then they were, you know, learning things from each other in that in that sense. But basically by the end of the show, it felt like Fos had become a lot more similar to Cinnabar. Mm-hmm. And it's like watching two people who are very alike interact. And I don't know how compelling right. that is. Um, I, I, I think it depends. Because I, yeah. I haven't gotten anywhere uh, in the manga that uh, kind of expounds on, on that relationship. I, I kind of like that the, the tension becomes that like Cinnabar kind of um, is having trouble reconciling Ufos is now. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. I... Because the thing about um, Fos is, like, um, they they are essentially, like, ship of Theseusing their their body. Um, like, mm. slow, slowly but surely, like, all of the, the parts of, of their body are, are, are getting swapped out. Um, but at the same time, it, it feels like, um, like, at the same time, their, their personality, um, at the very least, the personality we saw at the very beginning uh, of the, the series is like slowly disappearing and like what at what yeah. point do you become a different person right which is a very right. interesting question for yes. uh like immortal gem people it's also like um because there's a lot of kind of questions about like identity and like um explorations of of that um in the sense of you know when when you're an immortal being like um whose memories are are stored in in your body that you might lose at any moment, right? Like, what, yeah. like what happens when you lose and you change those memories? What ha- what happens when you start to like gradually lose a lot of the memories you had when you were younger? Like, what what do you become then? Like, are are you right. the same person? Like, what? Right. How much of your your personality is um like how much of you yourself is is your is your memories? And mm-hmm. I mean, the question mm-hmm. like the answer is probably quite a lot, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and like, I think we still see a little bit of, of Fos in, um, uh, in, in, in their mannerisms, um, how they kind of, uh, reply like very sarcastically to things. I think also like, it's, it's very funny to me that like, um, like phos, phospho, phosphophilite, uh-huh. which I think, I think is the full name of, of the uh-huh. uh, mineral. Um, it's like a very like, I mean, relatively kind of like light and, um, you know, uh, not very dense material. And and then you have the agate, which is similarly um, gives them, like, a speed boost. And then they put the arms on, and, like, they're very, very heavy and dense because they're made of gold. You know, gold mm-hmm. is very dense and heavy. And suddenly they're just very slow and sluggish and mm-hmm. kind of just can't get as excited anymore. And honestly, it's kind of relatable. It does kind of feel like when you get older and you're just like, I can't muster up the energy you youths have anymore. <laughs> <laughs> right um but yeah i i think there's a lot of it that is like very interesting but it's also like because it's just the very beginning of something um it's hard to yeah. really make a statement about it either way like yeah we can talk about just the the 12 episode um series 
But um, in in that, like, the arc feels like it hasn't really, like, uh, it it hasn't, like, made any considerable progress past, like, stage, like, two, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, It feels like we got a really, like, clear, like, A to B point um, in terms of, like, a character progression. And then, like, the series, like, is, is, is taking a break. It stops right there. So you're like, mm-hmm. well, now what, right? Um, it's, yeah, I, I don't know. I think it's one of those things where, like, I really am curious to see where they take the character um, because I think that um, ultimately uh, where, where Fos ends up as a character is very important to consider. Um, when looking at kind of the arc as a whole, and like it's it it's impossible to say without reading more of the story. <laughs> right? Yeah, I I am still very interested in seeing where Faust's character goes because obviously there's still more story to tell with them. Uh, and uh, I am very interested in seeing how their interaction with Cinnabar will end up. Um, especially with that remark about Cinnabar being quite upset that Fos forgot that they wanted a fun job, not just right, a job. Yeah. <laughs> and Fos is like, "Oh, I don't, I don't, I don't have a fun job for you at all. This is gonna be the antithesis of fun." <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. So I, I'm really interested in seeing where the plot goes and how Fos's character will develop now that they're almost a completely different person than they started out as in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um I think this is a good time to kind of transition into talking about the themes of Hoseki no Kuni. Ooh, yeah. Um there's like a lot of Buddhism stuff that I I just I cannot talk about. I have no idea about any of it, but there's like a lot of Buddhist symbolism. <laughs> yes. Obviously, yes. Sensei looks like a Buddhist monk. Um yes. like apparently there are like seven materials that are like the treasures of of buddhism that um that fos is like composed primarily of oh um so that might be something um there's obviously the the lunarians looking very um kind of like like buddhist inspired in terms of design um it's there's also like the because there's the setup of the the idea that the the body the bones and the spirit of humanity were descended into the three races mm-hmm. um, in in the world so mm-hmm. there is this like very buddhist sentiment of of like you know detachment from um worldly uh desire and like be- becoming one with the world and like your spirit etc kind of that kind of stuff um yeah i think it's interesting how they juxtapose um the the slugs which are the the body of humans um mm-hmm. as pretty much the only ones that like remember anything so like the, the idea of the body being um the well of memory um mm-hmm. The idea of the bones as being physical and immortal, but also like um, prone to becoming lost, right? Because mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. the the body still um, the bodies like the the slugs still like reproduce and um, propagate themselves that way. But the bones, um, which is to say the gems, are are kind of immortal. They live forever. Um, mm-hmm. 
And I think that's a very interesting dynamic. And obviously we don't know anything. We don't know anything about the, the, the moon people, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> which, by the way, in, um, in Japanese are skijin, which are based, it's literally just the, the character the for moon, moon and the character for, for people. So, like, moon people. But, like, you yeah. know, if people were, if, if you were watching anime and they're like, the moon people have arrived, you'd be like, what the fuck are they talking about? The Martians? <laughs> right. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I wish I could say more about this, but I, like, don't really have, yeah. like, a good grasp on it. Like, obviously, mm-hmm. there is the um, the kind of, like, a little aside that they had about um, the soul uh, splitting into the Lunarians and them being perpetually, like, warlike, insatiable, like, desiring the, the gems as, um, uh, as decorations, uh, the body as, like, producing also decorations so it's kind of like this this idea of uh what what is a person right right and i mean mm-hmm. obviously I, I think that the the series as a whole does a lot of questioning of like what is a person in the same mm-hmm. way that like something like near automata does like where does the body end and the spirit begin right um, this is actually a very like a very kind of yoko taro um <laughs> sort of vibe because it's like yeah. Where does the spirit end and the body begin? And what happens if the spirit sands? What happens if the body sands the spirit grows its own spirit? Mm-hmm. Right? What if the body becomes its own thing? Is that a person? Is the body right. a person? Right? Right. Um, and I think it's a very interesting discussion. And mm-hmm. um, there's definitely something here about like um, uh, about the split. But I also like don't know enough about the lunarians to to make a, a a legitimate statement either way i mean they're just kind of the the spooky enemies um but you can clearly tell that there's there's more to it the general aesthetic and like thematic um lens of the show feels a lot like um because the setting feels a lot like gargantia of the virgerous planet which i is an anime that i love and i would love to see an episode mm-hmm. about it at some point but like the um the as the uh, sort of uh like thematics of uh Hoseki no Kuni feel a lot like uh like Madoka in in um in that's what I was going to bring up yeah um, like as Fos, well Fos feels a lot like um Fos feels a lot like Madoka and mm-hmm. the the general vibe of it um the mm-hmm. idea that you know you are fighting against these kind of manifestations of you know human I guess evils or maybe mm-hmm. human enlightenment it's hard to say um yeah. It it all feels very um very Madoka. And what's what's interesting is I think that while Madoka is a very well written story, it, it kind of feels to me like and this is like thinking about it kind of in hindsight, but like I really like Madoka. I think it's one of like the most well written stories um in in anime. Uh I think that the way that it, it sets up its its narrative is is very well. But if I had to like talk about the sort of themes and thematics of Madoka, it gets very muddy um, mm. because of the way that it kind of undermines its own premise all the time. Um, whereas it feels like with Land of the Lustrous, it, it's more kind of consistent about what it wants to say. Um, I have this feeling with uh, when I watched the first episode of Wonder Egg Priority, which I know we haven't done the recap. <laughs> I, I know we haven't done the, the yeah. sample episode of yeah. um, yet, but like, uh, if you were gonna watch one episode, uh, if you were gonna watch one anime this season, it 
it has to be one direct priority. Like I think hands down <laughs> it has to be like big big content warnings for like suicide and like bullying and stuff. Um but like wow, that show. Um but like that I felt a very similar way about one direct priority where um the aesthetics of it are not necessarily like Madoka because um well okay, in some ways they are. Um the aesthetics of it are like if Madoka was uh met the like magical realism of like Haruki Murakami. And only mm. the magicalism. But like mm-hmm. um but at the same time, um thematically it feels like it has such a vastly different core to it. Yeah. And mm-hmm. um like there if if I had to look at Madoka, right, as as a very well written like um story, it feels a lot like a it feels a lot like a like a doll where like it's very well crafted um and very appealing but also it kind of feels like there's not a lot inside necessarily um obviously mm. there's a lot that you can you can talk about but as far as an emotional core goes like um there is the emotional core of like uh Madoka and and Homer's relationship um but at the same time if you were to try to suss out what the what the actual like point of Madoka is um it doesn't really feel like there is one it's a very like nihilistic piece of media Whereas with One Drag Priority and Land of the Lustrous, it feels like it's it's kind of aiming for something else. Um, oh, and, I see what you mean. Mm-hmm. I mean, on 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 that kind of topic, um, mm-hmm. like Land of the Lustrous, One Drag Priority, very different shows, very like thematically very different. Because um, <laughs> like Hoseki Nukuni feels a lot like it's it's about the self um, and and about identity and like what uh-huh. it means um, to right. be to be a person, um, mm-hmm. which I think is really interesting because a lot of it is also about trauma um yes in a different way that you know um things that are usually about trauma are are, are about right like the fact that um as as the gems they don't have natural healing processes you have to pick up all the bits of you that broke off and just kind of glue them back on right Mm -hmm. and you hide it under this uh like layer of of makeup that makes it look like one kind of continuous surface that looks like skin but like at the end of the day you are just as broken as when as when you were uh apart but now mm-hmm. you're you're put together right it's this idea that you are not necessarily stronger after after being reformed after being broken you are just the same maybe you are maybe different maybe right yeah and, at any moment, like, you may just break along those same lines, which I think is a much more kind of realistic approach to the way trauma works, right? Because obviously, I think a lot of the times, um, especially in Western media, we kind of paint, uh, like, trauma survivors as, like, uh, as, like, heroes or, like, you know, whatever, where they're like, oh, mm-hmm. they're so brave, you know, they, they, mm-hmm. they've done so much to, like, get over their trauma, and, like, obviously what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, right? But at the end of the day, like, sometimes if you break and, like, you find some way to put yourself back together, you're still broken somewhere. Like, you still got those mm-hmm. cracks, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you don't necessarily become stronger. You just are together again, right? Right. Um, There's no think, way to, like, turn back time and undo right. the damage that's You can't that's unbreak yourself. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I like that... Um, I like that the... Uh, that that Fos, as, a, as the main character... It is kind of this embodiment of Japanese like kintsugi, which is um, the art of sticking like broken pottery back together with um, with gold seams that show you where the cracks are, 
right? Mm -hmm. um, in many ways, Fos feels like um, a character who is much more flexible than the rest of the gems um, because they're, they're much more willing to kind of like um, take on, you know, new parts. But like, you know, when they uh, integrate the gold platinum alloy into their body, right? Like all of the cracks are being filled by, um, by the gold, right? Mm -hmm. And it, it does make them stronger um, in, a, in a sense. And it does mean that they're not like hiding their, their cracks and their traumas in the same way. Um, but it also kind of like that also kind of comes at a cost, right? It's not a net positive necessarily. Right. It's, not, yeah. it's not a true good that it's happening, right? Yeah. Because they, they acknowledge they're like, yeah, I mean, like, it does make me stronger, but it will probably like force out the parts of me that are, um, that are still here, that are still from my yes. like, original body or whatever. Yeah. Right? So there's this idea that you know, growing from trauma and becoming um, hardened to it um, to better kind of tackle the world will maybe make you lose a piece of of who you were, right? Like, there's mm -hmm. a very real sense that that Fos's childlike innocence has pretty much been lost forever. Yeah, there's a, like a very uncomfortable trade-off that comes with every transformation that Fos takes. Right. Um, which I do find really interesting is that. Well, yeah. I also I also like that um, that Fos's second um, that every kind of um, piece of them that they they gain is. Ha has a very specific meaning to it. Obviously, yeah, like yeah. they don't remember what happened in the ocean because they lost their legs and their memories um, of of that day were were in the legs. Um, mm -hmm. But in in exchange, they get um, these like these agate legs from uh, from the shell, and they're they're kind of a gift. Um, they're like a, a a manifestation of like the relationship between you know Fos and the king, and. Mm -hmm. um, and then you have uh, the arms, uh, which are like kind of the last, the last moment where um, Fos was interacting with Antarcticite. And it also kind of coincides very uh, well with Fos's general relationship with, with Cinnabar, where it feels like um, Cinnabar is obviously uh, an outcast um, and their powers are mainly about like, because um, Cinnabar I think is, is just Mercury, I'm, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure mm -hmm. that's just what they call Mercury. Um, and it's, uh, like mo their powers are like to, to manipulate mercury, which is like, um, liquid at room temperature. So, you know, the, the effects for that are very different. It's, it's like a, a more of a liquid based attack, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, which, which Fos is also able to do with, with the gold art, like the gold platinum alloy. Right. Mm -hmm. So you kind of have this sense that there is something very special and unique about these two characters that are intertwined and have the potential to like really change the status quo, um, but are much more flexible and malleable than, um, than the very like rigid hard gems around them. I think that's very interesting. It's a very like, right. if you do not bend, you break kind of mentality. Um, right. And actually now that, now that I'm on that topic, I, what I think is really interesting is um, Fosa's sh sudden shift from like, uh, like when they see Antarctosite die, it feels like um, it feels very sudden. And I realize that I think a lot, a large part of the reason why that doesn't register as like very offensive to me, um, even though it's very jarring. Um, I think it's, 
I think it works really well, actually, now that I think about it. Because yeah, yeah. Fos has, like, shattered physically many times but like this feels like the moment when when they shatter mentally right you can kind of see the the split happen um yeah no i i like at the time i felt really uncomfortable with it and i feel like because um when i finished up the show i had some time to reflect on it it wasn't like i thought that it was a bad move on the story's part but mm -hmm. more like i could understand why it was uncomfortable for me because i was seeing everything through Fos's perspective as right, as they were yeah. the main character. And so when it was jarring to them, it was the way that the story was told, it was also jarring to the audience um, that they would subsequently just skip over the rest of winter and then Fos was suddenly like a completely different person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so then the fact that spring comes and then the other gems are awoken to the fact that Fos is a different person, like that also kind of hammers it in. Like, yes, this is a very significant development that is meant to be a shock to you right um, it's meant to be very yeah. jarring exactly yeah yeah I, I definitely warmed up to it with some time to like let it process yeah like i remember i took a break after that episode where um all the other gems woke up because i was like i just i need to process everything that just happened like antarcticite died Fos is a different person and now everyone's back and reacting to it it's just a lot <laughs> right yeah <laughs> Um, I, yeah, I, I think looking, looking back on it, like it's, it, it seems very intentful that it's like so, yes. so jarring. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, cool. Cool. Um, well, why don't we get into kind of the, the, uh, the, the meat of it, I guess. Okay. <laughs> I, I know we've been like talking for quite a bit already, but, um. This this I feel like is like the the kind of big thing that we've we've sort of um been like dancing around. Mm -hmm. Um but so the gems do not have like gender, um, which is I mean, that makes sense. Why would rocks have gender? But Yeah, like, they don't reproduce or anything. They don't reproduce <laughs> or anything, right? But um I think it's very interesting to look at the way that the gems are are portrayed um, as as an analysis of the ways in which we perceive genderlessness. Um, mm -hmm. Because I think that, like, obviously, you know, this came out in, like, 2012. It, it came out in Japan. Um, and I think it does relatively... I think it does really... I, I actually think it does really well in terms of how it um, depicts its characters. Um, sure. Obviously... There are certain things that you um, can take away from when you uh, when you look at it from the perspective of uh, looking at a, a more more diverse idea of what genderlessness looks like, right? Mm -hmm. Because like you know, if um, I mean honestly, if you were to ask me in like 2012, like what what does like somebody who is like non-binary look like, I would probably tell you they look like someone from Hoseki no Kuni, but like. Now, right, like with with a lot more knowledge of, uh, you know, the ways in which we construct masculinity and femininity and how those things are at at base, pretty neutral things that we've just decided to ascribe gender to um, and the ways in which like somebody can be genderless while also presenting in a way that we would traditionally associate with, you know, a gender. Um, yeah. Right. Um, it's, I would say that it, it's a very like different, it's a very like big 
gulf um, between those two things because what's really important, I think, to me is if you look at the designs of um, the gems of Hoseki no Kuni, they, they do register as like pretty androgynous, especially if you hear their voices and the way they talk um, for a couple of reasons that I'll get into. But at the same time, um, we, I feel like as a society, have to acknowledge that there are genderless people who are uh, who don't fit the mold of uh, like traditionally androgynous people, especially because traditionally androgynous people has has historically meant you were white, skinny, <laughs> uh, you looked a certain way, like you 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 had to have like a certain way that you looked. Um, you know, you couldn't look like you were traditionally perceived to be a man or a woman, right? Um, mm-hmm. If we think of of androgyny, we would. I mean, maybe traditionally think of someone like, uh, like, like David Bowie, right? And mm. I think we've kind of moved a long way past that into what we should consider, and the fact that we maybe sh- shouldn't consider like making assumptions about someone's gender to begin with. But like, I mean, all that kind of aside, I think it's very interesting to look at Hoseki no Kuni and the way that it uh, depicts genderlessness, because if you look at the characters, they're obviously all like very like you know pale thin um you know uh no chest whatsoever um no nipples because obviously (laughs) um uh, and presumably no genitals like i mean that would make sense but also i understand that if uh if you want to be broadcast on television that is not a very easy thing to to display you know um but like uh so you have obviously taken away the what we traditionally like physically associate with um with gender but like mm-hmm. we have to kind of address why we think of that as androgyny like why do we consider flat chest to be genderless mm-hmm. right um as opposed to like w- like why would why would we not consider having breasts to be genderless right mm-hmm. because like Genetically speaking, the template from which all people are derived is the quote-unquote female body, right? Right. Um, so if you were looking at it purely biologically, there's a, there's a real argument to be made that having, like, a, having a chest is more genderless than not having one. <laughs> right. Like, why is the genderless skewed toward the masculine presentation right, exactly. versus the feminine it's- or... It's, you know. <laughs> it, it's very much in this idea that uh, that masculinity or maleness is is the default or the norm and femininity mm-hmm. uh, is is the different. Um, mm-hmm. It's the mm-hmm. it's the gender. Right. <laughs> like this, like um, this reminds me of a joke that somebody made, um, I think, on Twitter quite a long time ago where they were like there. Um, I think it was in an article about um, I think they wrote it in an article talking about about games, which is that there are two genders in games, male and political. <laughs> right and I mean, <laughs> and it's true right yeah i mean isn't wouldn't you say that it also it's i mean it's a thing that's existed since christianity was a thing right because you know eve came from adam and and all of that right. jazz too yeah no i mean 100 percent. like the the way that we construct and think about um uh like heteronormative um like heterosis kind of society um, it's a very like recent and constructed way of thinking about about gender, um, because like traditionally throughout history there have been many civilizations and societies 
that have had different understandings of gender, that have subsequently had those understandings scrubbed from their history by, you know, colonialists, mm-hmm. literally. Like, I mean, like, uh, obviously the, the Native Americans have, um, like, had, had, like, a, the idea of a third gender. Um, Native, I think, Philip, like, people from the Philippines natively had, had an idea of a third gender. Um, I think Native Mexico also had something like that. Um, and basically colonists came in and they were like, mm, nah, I don't think so. I think gender only works like this. There's man and woman. And yeah. you are man if you have penis and woman if you have vagina. <laughs> right, because a lot of, you know, like European languages, for example, are all gendered. Yeah, you, yeah, right. Like masculine and, and feminine. And they make um. no sense either. <laughs> like, they, I swear to God, they don't make any sense. And it's... it's <laughs> It, it's absolutely the them. worst part about learning <laughs> one of those languages, I swear. Like, Spanish was a nightmare. Every object has a gender. Yeah, every <laughs> object has a gender. I mean, honestly. <laughs> Fair enough, I suppose. But, like, like <laughs> so, you know, um, they, like, the gems have this very, like, genderless, as we would traditionally associate, like, physically with a genderless um uh, kind of appearance. Yet at the same time, what I think is really interesting is um, that interpretation can vary wildly, which is uh, one of those reasons that maybe we just shouldn't assume genders because it, it, we're obviously very bad at it, right? Um, <laughs> with um, with uh, the official translation um, on, you know, streaming on Amazon Prime at the moment, um, who knows where it will be in the future. But like, it um it uses they them pronouns for for the gems but mm. when i went back and i looked at like fan translations of the manga and the uh ova mm. the ova mm-hmm. uses like she her pronouns um oh. presumably because like they're voiced by women and they could conceivably look like women i suppose sure um and the manga uses he him pronouns presumably because and this is this is obviously my opinion um they they see he him pronouns as being genderless as being neutral right yeah like the I, idea I of noticed the that. guys as being neutral right um their way of speaking they use uh masculine i guess yes quote, quote, absolutely mm-hmm. pronouns and so um I, i've noticed that in other japanese media too with um genderless characters a, yes um this this is a this is a big big thing that i wanted to touch on which is that yeah. a lot of the way that gender is expressed in japanese specifically is is verbally through language um yeah. in a very different way than than is done in in english not entirely different there are definitely examples of of the way this works in english um but the way that uh because japanese has very few gendered pronouns in the way that like english has like he him she her they them right like you can say kare and kano and those mean generally like um, that guy or that girl, um, but mm-hmm. you almost never hear them in in Japanese. It's just not how the language is structured. Mm. Um, but essentially, the way to refer to people is 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 very very gender neutral. You know, it, you just say their name uh, or you say that person, right? Um, and a large part of gender uh, in Japanese language specifically is um, is personal. It's the way that you speak. So right. there mm-hmm. is this very fascinating way in which speech patterns are gendered and there are gendered like self-referential pronouns like ore and boku and yes. watashi, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. I think 
throughout the course of the anime, and I wasn't listening uh, with 100% attention 100% of the time, which I probably should have been, but um, I noticed that um, Fos uses Boku, which is traditionally um, masculine, but softer mm-hmm. than, than Ore, and a lot of the other gems use Ore, which is yes. very masculine. Yes. Um, and it's, it's funny to me because, uh, so even though their appearance is, is arguably somewhat feminine, um, mm-hmm. it's balanced by the fact that their, their way of speaking is, is very masculine, yes. which I think mm-hmm. is, um, might, very well might be on purpose. I think that there is certainly I a is. genderlessness yeah. to masculine speaking because, um, in Japanese, if you use uh, polite speech, that's actually coded feminine. So if you use like polite speech, like in in a in a non formal setting, you are coded as being feminine or like sounding like a woman, right? Um, and this was this was something I read about in an article um, talking about translating a novel called Ancillary Justice by by Anne Leckie. Um, which deals with this, the idea of, of gendered language. Um, so the, um, the idea of, uh, uh, the idea in ancillary justice is that um, the empire, right, the, the imperial empire has no concept of gender and will refer to everybody by using she, her pronouns. Hmm. Um, because to us, as like uh, in- native English speakers, that registers as weird. Immediately, we're like, "Wait, that's hold on, right?" It it makes us question what we think about gender and the assumptions we make about gender and language in a way that's very cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's very interesting because the characters uh, who come from um, the empire natively in uh, Ansari Justice are unable to tell like people apart gender wise when it seems like. Uh, the people who are not born under that um, are able to determine it quite quite easily, right? Like by mm-hmm, using mm-hmm. like he/him pronouns and, and that kind of stuff. Um, very interesting. I, t- <laughs> to be honest, I didn't finish the book because I I r- was reading it in like the swamp hell of college, um, and I, I probably <laughs> want to go back and and read through it. But like uh, that part sticks out to me. And there's a a great article about the process of translating it into different languages to produce that same effect. Japanese is one of them. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, did did you have something you wanted to say? I felt like I felt like I was huh? no, no, no. You're you're good. Yeah, um, yeah. I I think that this is when I heard that it was female voice actresses, um, using these uh masculine pronouns. I was like, oh, okay. Obviously, they're supposed to be genderless because, um, like I said before, they've done it in other anime or other Japanese media as well, mm-hmm. like. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kino's journey. Kino right, uses right. masculine pronouns, and then uh, uh, there's this character Neferpito in Hunter Hunter who uses masculine pronouns, but appearance-wise looks kind of feminine. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so it, I guess I don't know if it's like their shorthand for making like a genderless character is to have a female voice actress and give them masculine pronouns and a masculine way of speaking. Um, but I think that's definitely what they were going for. <laughs> I, think, I think that's the easiest shorthand for it because, mm-hmm. um, if you go the other way, you create, um, a character who is much more in line with, um, with like Okama culture 
which muddies the waters a lot in terms of because like J- Japan does not have like the mo- like okay I shouldn't say this like Japan is is a hegemony but like the sort of general consensus of Japanese media does mm-hmm. not have a great grasp of uh of like gender and um, sure. sexuality mm-hmm. um like non like um non normative gender and sexuality sure. yeah. Uh, because uh okama culture is um largely associated with um what we would traditionally think of in the west as like trans women or drag queens sure Mm -hmm. it's hard to tell the line between where does like the drag queen end the homosexual man and and the trans woman begin right right Mm -hmm. it's it's pretty much impossible to say we can't we can't ascribe kind of our ideas of 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 culture on there because it's 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 a different one they just have a different culture um which isn't to say that it's a non-problematic culture um there's a lot of problems with okama culture and i think largely speaking they're being phased out in terms of uh, in favor of more exclusive inclusive rather um uh terms and understandings but it's still kind of a long road but i think Mm -hmm. i think you you're right that it's like pretty much the easiest shorthand and i think it's not as um it's not as like uh uh offensive to people um i don't want to use the word offensive but like um it doesn't register um as as strongly because i think japan especially okay japanese anime specifically anime and manga has a very strong sense of uh sort of female or female coded characters who use masculine pronouns um and more women in the japanese workforce are using masculine pronouns in order to assert Mm. themselves as um as as business people right Mm. so um it's a very interesting dynamic around the way that uh that gender works kind of language wise. Um, but mm-hmm. at the same time, uh, it, I think it's a very intentional choice because it's um, like, it doesn't feel like it's just shorthand to me because of the way that the diamonds refer to each other. So like um, Bort, Bort, which by the way, I cannot like <sighs> small aside, Bort-a-tee. small aside, small aside. <laughs> I, it's, so it's not Boruto, it's Borutsu. Yes. Which is merciful, but I cannot take a character named Bort seriously, no matter what they say, no matter what they look like, no matter what serious Bort. stuff is going on. I cannot. Like, there is something about the, the combination of those syllables put together like that where I'm just like, Bort. <laughs> it's a funny name, Bort. Um, oh my God. I can't. It's just so funny to me. It sounds so funny. Um, <laughs> Which is funny because otherwise I, I absolutely love the character. Um, oh, yeah, I love, Bort I love is their a great character, character design. I, I love <laughs> just how like abrasive they are. Yes, um, yes. And, but also like very you know good at telling yes. people like you know what what they should fix and and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, I anyway back back to it. Um, but the diamonds Bort refers to diamond as uh, Nichan and. Um, both diamonds refer to yellow diamond, who is the oldest one, as Nisama. So, like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so there is like very, um, there is a concerted effort to use masculine terms in reference yeah. to these characters because mm-hmm. masculinity is perceived as genderlessness or less gendered, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which um, obviously I think is like cool. 
also is just like, man, I wish we could do away with that. But like, obviously, it's yeah. not something that's going to be like going away anytime soon. Um, but it's also super fascinating to look at because you're like, oh, yeah. that's the mm-hmm. way that you, you like would uh, convey to an audience that mm-hmm. somebody is, uh, you know, non non-gendered or non-binary or, or genderless, mm-hmm. agender, um, mm-hmm. any, any kind of one of those things. And yeah, I, I also like, I, I like the fact that the slugs have like very explicit genders. Um, yes. I love that too. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's just like, I got these boing boings and Faust is like, what? I don't yeah. understand. <laughs> yeah. The slug was just like, these are my greatest assets. <laughs> and Faust is like, what? <laughs> I don't understand. <laughs> these don't it. exist where I come from. Yeah. <laughs> Why do so you got those that? bags? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and also like, I, I, I like that uh, the slugs are gendered. But the the Lunarians aren't really like they kind of are appearance wise, but like they don't really speak, uh, and they're very like they're very like spiritual in a way that seems to transcend gender. Um, yeah, I guess. Yeah, I mean they are called you know the spirit or the soul or whatever. Right. So. Um, yeah. I kind of I kind of like the idea that in this in this universe, the only place that like gender quote-unquote exists is is your body i think maybe (laughs) i don't know the flesh the the (laughs) flesh i mean that's not to say that like gender is derived from your body um (laughs) but like the idea the idea that like gender and body something 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 i don't know i don't know where i was going with this um maybe it would have been maybe it would have been better if the if your bones were gendered (laughs) Oh, <laughs> gender is stored in the bones. God, wouldn't that be something? Wouldn't that be something? It's just like, well, I mean, all we got to do is give you a um a bone marrow trans- transplant and uh, there, there you go. You got some more gender in you. What gender? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, in European languages, they're gendered. <laughs> I, yeah, I guess so. Um, but yeah, I, I mean... There, like I, I'm really fascinated about the fact that this came out in in 2012. Um, not yeah, to say I think it, that's crazy. Not to say <laughs> that it does anything like revolutionary, but just the fact that yeah. it has like genderless characters, or at the very least, like attempts to make a story about yes. genderless characters. Yeah, which I guess kind of doesn't register as uh, offensive because it's it's like rock people, um, and <laughs> and and obviously people would be like, yeah, rocks don't have gender. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. <laughs> Gender is stored in the balls. Don't you know? Right? <laughs> that kind boing of stuff. Boings. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, gender is stored in the boing boings. <laughs> Everybody knows that. Everybody knows that. If you don't got none of them, you don't got no genders. <laughs> that, is not, that is not true. Um, gender is a weird, <laughs> mysterious thing, and everybody's journey with it is different. Maybe it is related to your body. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I mean, overall, like, it's kind of frustrating to me because I really, really enjoyed the anime. But yeah. having having watched the anime, like, the greatest sense I'm left with past uh, all of the, the stuff that I liked about it was just, wow, this feels like it is, like, way not enough. I, I Oh, really, yeah, definitely. Like, it really <laughs> feels like... I was robbed of an entire season of anime, right? As soon as I finished watching, I started Googling where's our season two. Yeah, where's season two? Hey. <laughs> hey, Studio Orange. <laughs> Bring me season two. 
and no, and we get a season two of Beastars, which is also fine. We haven't finished the first season, but oh yeah, I mean we, I, we should go back and know. watch it. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm hoping though, maybe in the near future after Beastars, <laughs> they'll go back. Listen, gender is stored in your heart, <laughs> not your physical heart, your spirit heart. <laughs> My spirit heart. My spirit heart. My bone heart. Ge- like it's it's gender so fucking weird too. <laughs> Because, like, it, I mean, it's, like, about your body, but also not about your body. But also, mm-hmm. like, kind of about your body, but also not really <laughs> about your body. Um, mm-hmm. And that's all I got to say about that. Okay. You know what? Take, <laughs> take solace in the fact that your, your bones aren't gendered. <laughs> I think. Although, okay, actually, on, on that topic, um, absolutely nothing to do with, with uh, Hoseki no Kuni, but... Um, it it's very funny to me because uh we 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 always think that um like working off this terrible innocuous joke i made about bones having gender right like we we f- didn't realize for a long time that a lot of the bones we were digging up were women because we just assumed the bones are man <laughs> like do you do you know what i'm talking about like we we discovered recently that like um uh some some bones we found in like uh egyptian burial sites were like just really tall women we found out that like 50 percent of vikings were like women or whatever and like god can you imagine how embarrassing it yeah yeah like this was a recent discovery we made where we were like oh wait shit these are like these are like lady bones these are these are most likely lady bones so like (laughs) like just just the the idea the fact that we're just like hmm Wow, all all Vikings were men. How weird. We've studied the bones. They're definitely man bones. And it's like, really? How, how do you know? How, how do you know they're man bones? You got a dick bone? You got you got a dick bone? You, you got a bone that says man? You got bone you got bone that says man? You got, you got a plate, a bone plate inside the head that just says man? I was a man? That's what I thought. There That's are I thought. there are cues within the, I mean, obviously women biologically have like wider hip bones and stuff like that so there are there are telltale signs of it of a skeleton being male or female but a lot of our standards were developed in the modern day so they don't necessarily apply to people that existed to be centuries ago to be fair a lot of our standards are also informed by like like two centuries of bad science yeah, like yeah, that's true too. It, like a, a concerning amount of our science is based on like phrenology and like how big one's skull is. So like, <laughs> I mean, honestly, it kind of checks. It's like um, I feel like a lot of history is like that, where it's like um, yeah. we have we had those like we had this long period where we were like, oh, like what what were what were these these pictures on the wall? Like what are they depicting? They must be ritual purposes and then it's like no you you dingus like we we wet the sand because it's easier to move shit over when it's wet or whatever right <laughs> it's like the, we used wheels or like this was knitting we we just did knitting right it's like a mm-hmm. lot of his like a lot of history gets kind of insulated in in this way where it's just like con- disconnected from you know kind of uh human existence in a way that's not helpful like we think about yeah, things yeah. conceptually and we can't think yeah. outside of our own biases and then we discover, oh, this is really easy if you just consider the fact that, you know, people also did things that we probably do now, right? Like, honestly, <laughs> right? in, like, 
two thousand years, um, mm-hmm. or like, okay, maybe longer than that. In like forty thousand years, if if an alien were to dig up like uh, an old an old old computer, they'd be like, I don't understand why it was done like this, and then like they would take it to their like alien sewing friends, and their their <laughs> sewing friends would be like, oh, this is just needlework. <laughs> That's the future. <laughs> right. I mean, there, there's a large part of, of early computing that is explicitly based on, like, loom work or whatever. Um, and they needed, like, they needed, like, people who mm. were good at sewing, I think, um, to, like, thread the wires cool. or something. Because, like, other people couldn't do it. Anyway, fascinating. But absolutely yeah. not what we're here to talk about. <laughs> I think I think that's about it. I, I think that's about yeah. all I have to say about, uh, about uh, Land of the Lustrous. Um <laughs> Lest we go talking on. about aliens and stuff now. Man. Right, talking about aliens and stuff. I don't know. <laughs> uh, there's aliens. There's aliens. I, I tell you, there's aliens. <laughs> um, but yeah, why don't we? Uh, why don't why don't we wrap up? Uh, yeah. Who are you? Where can we find you on the internet? I am Renu, also known as Swan. You can find me on Twitch and Tumblr and Twitter at SwanDrawn. You can find me on Instagram at Swan.Drawn. I have much work to do. <laughs> That's... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I have artwork and stuff coming up too. So, yeah. Follow me. I've been posting more regularly on social media. So, that's exciting. I've been very nice, very nice. Trying to maintain a once per week schedule. Oh wow, that that's pretty rough, honestly. <laughs> if I had to do anything once a week, I'd be like, oh. <laughs> once a month already is getting like difficult. Yeah, posting on social media doesn't come natural to me, so I have to schedule myself somehow. <laughs> I mean, okay, that that's fair. <laughs> yeah, you can follow me on there, and I'll update you on my entire backlog of stuff i'm doing slash have done <laughs> very nice very nice all right how about you uh you can find me all the places at literal soup and right now uh i'm making my way through dark souls 3 and i don't know when i will be done with that game that game mm. seems pretty long yeah. all things considered i don't think i will get through it as quickly as i did the the other two games um mm-hmm. there seems to be a lot of of game to do Okay. So um, I'll be doing that. After that, I will probably play uh, Yakuza Kiwami 2. Woo! Because I, I own that. Um, and then the other Yakuza games, 3, 4, and 5, just launched on the Microsoft Game Pass. So oh, that's awesome. I think what I'll do is I'll play Yakuza Kiwami 2, and then maybe I'll play Yakuza 3. And then I think probably I'll take a break to play like Sekiro or something so that I don't have to play like eight Yakuza games in a row. <laughs> Um, ideally, I want to make my way towards being able to play the, the latest game, um, Yakuza Like a yes. Dragon. Um, I mean, me too. Yeah. <laughs> that would be, that would be the idea. But now, now that all the games are, are launching, uh, and will be out, uh, it, it this makes my, my job a lot easier to be perfectly yeah. honest. Um, cause, uh, I, I really was not sure what I would have to be doing aside from like emulating a PS2, which is just like not oh, ideal. Oh no. <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, so um, I'm I'm glad those games are coming out. Um, I I pray that maybe one day, um, completely unrelated to Yakuza, but um, I pray that one day we will get a re-release of the uh, ninth and tenth Fire Emblem games um, on 
at least the Nintendo Switch, if not another platform. Um, but mm. I know Nintendo is like notably very stingy about letting their IP go anywhere that isn't a mm-hmm. Nintendo um, licensed console. So, um, you know, that's a wish deep in my heart. Uh, from now, for now, I'll just wish for Bloodborne uh, on PC because <laughs> uh, that that has a chance of happening. Maybe I don't know. I hope so. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. That's that's what I'm up to. Uh, you can catch me streaming. Uh, I usually stream at like bad hours. Like I, I stream <laughs> at like eleven, twelve, uh, my time, which is uh, Pacific time. So like eleven p.m., twelve a.m. Bad. Like is is when I start bad. So um, <laughs> I understand if you uh, you cannot regularly swing by. Um, I I I really do just stream at the the worst hours. I I apologize. Anyway. Um, <laughs> So there's that. Um, obviously, you can find uh, the podcast at Absolute Cast on on Twitter. Um, we will probably be doing the uh, uh, sampler episode next week. I don't Woo. want to prom- make a hard promise, but it's very likely. It's Woo. very likely. So uh, watch out for that. Um, that's yeah. gonna be, that's gonna be interesting. We watched mm-hmm. a lot of first episodes. Let me tell you. Many. Uh, there's a, you know what? There's a lot of good stuff airing this season, and not all of it is necessarily sequels. Like there's at least two or three good shows I can think of off the top of my head that are airing. So yeah, um, that that are not sequels, mind you. So very excited to talk about that. Very excited to talk about that. Um, uh, is there anything else that we need to? Oh, um, I'm working on the postcards. I have got them signed, and I will mail them out maybe by the time this episode has gone up it depends uh i'll probably just drop them off at on the uh, in the mailbox the next time i go to the grocery store uh which I, mm-hmm. I don't know when that is but um hopefully it's it's soon but those are those are on the way so watch out watch out for those um i, I swear those are coming to you uh preferably before the end of the year <laughs> definitely before then definitely before then anyway um yeah, so I guess uh, I guess on that note, um, our opening is by Scotch Network, and our ending is by Takuma Okada. Thank you very mm. much. And the patrons we are thanking this week, <gasps> or this month, I suppose, are uh, Evan, Frostfall, uh, Cherry, Mac by Mirtest, Sean, Undead Uncanny, uh, Claire, and Dylan. Thank you so wow. much. Thank, Thank you. you so much for your <laughs> We love we love your support. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, and thank you so much to everybody who is who is listening. And yeah. we will see you next time. See you next time. ね。